Welcome to another episode of a special podcast we like to call From the Archives. These are hand-picked sermons and sermon series preached in our church over the years by some of the pastors, elders, and special guests we've had the privilege of listening to. We hope and we pray that as we listen to these classic messages, we'll be challenged in our walk with Jesus and encouraged to trust in him more and more. That being said, let's dive into the episode. Hey guys, welcome to the final episode in our look back at 1 Thessalonians and a series we did called Encourage. Uh, In this episode, John is tying up some loose ends um, and going over Paul's concluding words in his letter to the Thessalonian church. And it's a bit random. Uh, Some of the things that get covered, we wouldn't necessarily put together. But this is how John describes it, that in these closing remarks, Paul gives us a list of all the things he wishes could be true about any and every church. And this message is just full of wonderful insights, wonderful um, comments about the sorts of people that you'll find in a church how we should treat one another in a church context and the sort of people we should strive to be in light of who Jesus is. So um, it's a great message, it's an encouraging message and it's a fantastic end to what I think and I hope you agree with me has been a wonderful series in 1 Thessalonians. As always, I should shut up and I should let you get on with listening to Jonathan. Who went shopping yesterday? Did anybody brave the shops yesterday? I didn't. You are mad. That is brilliant. Well done. Has anybody not finished their Christmas shopping yet? <laughs> Man, well done. Well done. All the best to you. Um, now, Christmas, Christmas shopping uh, is, is great. And uh, kids, they seem to have these lists. In the Welsh school, I don't know how they did this, one of the crafts, um, was basically to make like a stocking, and they must have just given them catalogues and told the kids for a day, because they're so tired by now, the teachers, I'm guessing, just cut out your favourite things from the catalogue and stick it on a, on a sock and take it home to your parents. I was like, thank you. That's really going to help us. We've bought all the presents. Um, but, and kids come up with random lists of presents, don't they? Um, we've been kind of looking in the office at what people want. Um, Sammy, he wants a shaver. Uh, he wants a new boss, and he wants smaller clothes. Uh, that's what Sammy uh, wants, but as well, I think he wants to be well. Um, but that's what, what he wants. You know, lists are random. Some people now have Amazon wish lists. You go on some people's Amazon wish lists. I'm not going to name anybody, Charlotte. But on some people's Amazon wish lists, there's things from really nice things to a bin. There's a bin on your Amazon Christmas wish list. We need to sort out Sam's romanticism. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? Random things in, in the lists. And basically, when you come to the end of 1 Thessalonians, it's as if... Someone says to Paul, if you could have anything in the church, what would it be? And he comes with a random list. In fact, the NIV commentators, the NIV Bible just says final instructions. I, we don't know why he's saying what he's saying. It just seems like a random list. And when we read through it now, it is going to be full, jam-packed of stuff. But actually, the list isn't random at all. When you look at it, actually, Paul has constructed it carefully with lots of triplets and everything is intertwined. It's a beautiful list. But at the start, it seems random, but also it just seems impossible. 
It's like your child coming to you and saying, you know, I want this, and I want a dog, and I want a remote-controlled dog, and I want a skateboard, and I want a skateboard that flies, and I want all of these things. And you just think, some of them I can't afford, and B, some of them haven't been invented. And when you look at Paul's wish list, his Christmas list for the church, you just read it through and you think, really, Paul? I don't think you've been to our church. This, this list is pretty, pretty impossible. Um, so let's look at Paul's Christmas list, his wish list for the local church. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, reading from verse 12. 1 Thessalonians five twelve. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's a long list, isn't it? He wants a lot for the local church. And I want to end this year, really, by saying this is my list for the church as well. Um, This is my prayer for us as a church. That as we look forward, every single thing on this list uh, would come true. Now, let's just clear up one thing. Uh, Verse 26, what do I mean about greeting one another with a holy kiss? Um, Wynne is quite concerned about this because he doesn't even want to hug you. Um, So we need to clarify the difference between a holy and an unholy kiss. It's about three seconds. It's about three seconds. Um, So there we are. So, <clears throat> you'll think about that one. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at the uh, list. Let's look at it in three um, areas, three things uh, that Paul wants for the church, three things uh, that we should aim for for the church. First thing is this, love your leaders. Love your leaders. Verses 12 and 13, he says, Now, brothers, respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Now, I would say that, wouldn't I? Because I am a leader. It's always a bit of an awkward one when these passages um, come up. Um, But love your leaders. Um, It's great here because Paul defines a healthy church leadership culture for us. He tells us how leaders should lead, and he tells us how followers should follow. The first thing he says is, is this. Leaders should work, care, and admonish. So did you see it there? So they work, they work, um, they admonish and they, they're over you. They, they care for you. Now, one of the things Paul is always um, keen to point out to his churches is how hard he worked amongst them. Um, and in 1 Thessalonians, there is a problem with idleness we're going to come to later on. So Paul's always making sure that he, people don't think he's having a free ride. He always wants to show them how hard he's working. Now, this is a classic one, isn't it? Because most of my time as a pastor is spent taking jokes about the fact that I only work half a day um, a week. And that's good fun, and I like that banter. And a lot of it comes from kind of old Anglicanism in England. Um, years and years ago, the joke used to be that if you had a really good, rich family, you know, and three sons... One would become a lawyer, one would go kind of to be an officer in the army, and then the kind of thick one would be a, a vicar. That's kind of how it went in, in the olden days. Um, and, and also, when you look at some of the old vicars years ago, you know, the books they used to write, 
They weren't theology books. They were books on fly fishing and, you know, on butterfly collecting. Why? Because they had loads of time. In fact, some of them didn't even live in their parishes. They lived in London and then just got the income and the earnings from their parishes. And so there is a reputation of pastors not working hard, of leaders and being lazy. Um, By today, that's very different. Let me give you some statistics. Um, These are from the USA. I think they're probably higher than the UK, but it gives you an idea. So in the USA, um, 90% of pastors work between 55 to 75 hours a week. Um, 50% of pastors finish within the first five years because of the demands of the workload. And only one out of 10 pastors make it to retirement. The rest burn out, um, have a breakdown, um, or just finish to do something a bit easier. In the UK, the statistics are slightly lower. I think in the ministry I've been in 10 years, of the 15 guys or so who are the same time as me, only three have dropped out so far that I know of. Um, but that's generally um, the, the way that is. And you're thinking, really, do you work hard? We, we don't see. We call in the office, you're not there. We don't come around and visit. And it, it's one of those awkward ones, isn't it? Because pastors work, a lot of his preparation and prayer, pastoral meetings that are confidential, so we don't tell you. We don't say, well, I'm meeting this family three times this week because they're struggling with this problem because no one would ever want a pastoral visit if I had to hand in a timesheet. Well, let me tell you this week who's been sinning. It's great. Um, We can't do that. There's lots of practical stuff that no one ever sees. And then the hours are very random and and very long. But here's the thing. Church leaders should work hard. They should work hard. When people start to work with me, I'm always clear. We should work the average hours of the person our age in the church, and we should add six to eight hours on top a week. So we should always aim to be working six to eight hours longer um, than people in our same position because uh, part of our work is church, and we expect any growing Christian Uh, to be given six to eight hours to church a week, Sunday morning, rooted group serving and something, one-to-one and visiting. So it's always important that we work as many hours as other people and the hours of church on on top. And and leaders need to be working hard. They need to be able to say and they need to be able to prove, as Paul, we work hard among you. Why? Because we're in the kingdom business. And if you're in the kingdom business, you want to work hard. Um, You want to work hard because it's so important Now, I get paid by the church, so let's bypass me today, because there's a lot of people who look over you and they don't get paid, and they still put 13, 14, 15, 20 hours in a week, even though they're not paid for um, the church, and they work hard. But Paul says, not just work hard, he also tells you what they should be doing. And sure, Paul has this thing where he talks about the maternal and the paternal aspects of ministry, the maternal and the paternal. I don't know if you've ever come across this. Um, So have a look again. Um, He says, there are those who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you, um, hold us in the highest regard in love because of of their work. Um, And we see here that we're to care for those people and we're to admonish them. Paul actually explains it back in chapter 2. Turn back to chapter 2. And Paul here uses um, female and male language for himself. Um, So 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 and from verse 7, he says this, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And then he goes down to verse 11. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of, the, worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Gospel workers, ministers, leaders, uh, need to always have the maternal and paternal aspect of ministry. So part of their hard work must be caring for people, must be like being like a mother, coming alongside people, making sure they're okay, helping them in their most difficult times. 
but also leaders need to have a paternal um, aspect where they're like the dad, you know, wait until your dad gets home from work. And dad taking you to one side, but I think in our church, I think it's the mums who give most of the rows. Um, but, but here it's paternal. And there's an aspect of that as well. Paul says here, uh, back in 1 Thessalonians 5, um, that they're over you, verse 12, and they admonish you. So the hard work must be one where they are loving you and admonishing you. Um, the New Testament says that this, that elders should do it, not because they have to, but because they want to. That they shouldn't be compelled or forced to do it, but they should do it out of, of love. And, and so we have a, leaders in the church, uh, I'm not speaking about myself now, but the others, um, but we are very thankful um, for people over us who do work hard, uh, many hours behind the scenes, they work very hard, who love you and who are willing to admonish you. So how do you respond when you've got that kind of leadership? Well, he tells us, doesn't he? He says we should acknowledge them, regard them, and live in peace. Do you see it there? He says that we should respect those who work hard among you and uh, admonish you, hold them in the highest regard, and live in peace with each other. You know, uh, can I just encourage you? Um, in terms of, outside of myself now, the, the other elders, uh, some paid, some not, uh, the deacons, um, and there are other people over us in the church that are rooted leaders who care um, for rooted groups. There's lots of other people who do massive amounts of time in the church, um, and I, I don't want to leave people out, but we're talking today about people who have spiritual oversight over different people in the church. Some have been beavering and working away for years. Some people have been leading rooted groups for 15, 20 years um, in the church. Some of them, you don't know this, but they phone around all the rooted group each week. Um, some of them take a, a lot of time and, and really wrestle for you um, in prayer and care for you. The deacons, you have no idea how many hours some of the deacons do. Uh, some of the ones who are looking after the money and the accounts and the legalities of things are the ones who are doing practical issues. I often call the deacons the shock absorbers of the church. Um, they're the ones who make the church run smoothly. If your deacons aren't doing your job properly, the church starts to judder and, and, and shake. And there are so many who are over us in the Lord, and they really work hard. Um, and there's a sense in which we want to be a church, not where we respect people because of title, but we respect people because of their work. Um, David Jackman says this, it's not a matter of status or privilege, but of respect for the worker because of his work. And he says here, we should acknowledge such people. We should regard them. And can I just encourage you to regard those people? I'm not talking about myself now. I'm talking about the other elders and the deacons and rooted leaders and other people in positions of, of spiritual authority in the church to acknowledge them and, and regard them. I get encouraged all the time. I get grabbed on the door. Thank you for this. Thank you uh, for that, which is really great. Um, but I often wonder, the other guys who are working behind the scenes, who love you and care for you and are willing to do the difficult visits, you know, when we sit down on a Tuesday morning as elders, I, I bring our kind of pastoral caseload, and, and very often it's other people who are going off to deal with difficult um, things, people who have very busy lives but love you so much that they're willing to do it, that, that see the vision of the church so much that they're willing to do it, even though no one knows what they do. They don't get any thank for it, and they don't get any money for it. They just want to do it. Just as many of you serve in other things in the church, you don't get any thanks for it, you don't get any money for it, but you love Jesus and you love the gospel and you want the cause of the gospel to go forward. And it's so important that we acknowledge these people, that, that we see them. And so I want to encourage you, this Christmas, this is what I want you to do. Apart from me, find an elder or a deacon or, or your rooted group leader or someone you think in church is over you, who, who helps you, a team leader or whatever it is, maybe someone meeting you one-to-one, 
and go and thank them. They will love it because they're all very uh, kind of humble people and they hate this kind of stuff. I kind of feel like I should make them stand up, but I know they'll kill me. Um, but do you know what? Find one. Find one and say thank you. Because th- these men and women, they're laboring away. And I love the fact that Paul says acknowledge them. Hold them in the highest regard in love. Love them. One of the reasons I always say that I stay in this church so long, apart from you, um, is, is the leadership. Uh, because I see what my friends who are pastors go through, and I see how, how I've got to be careful what I say here, how their quality of elders and deacons and leaders aren't the quality that we have in terms of character. And that's why I'm here, um, because of those men and those women who lead in the church. And we need to hold them in the highest regard, because I think it's very rare that we get up and say, do you know what? There are people who have been serving in our church for 25 years in rows, for 20 years in rows, for 15 years in rows, for 10 years in rows. People have only been in the church five years, but now you feel like the, the church would, f- would fail if they weren't here serving. And we're so thankful for them, and we want to we tell them that. But do you know the best way you can regard and acknowledge your leaders? Do you know the best thing you can do for them? Let's see if you can guess. You're going on holidays if you've got multiple kids. Okay, I don't know what this is like. But if you're going on holiday with multiple kids, what's the key thing you want for the holiday to be good? The kids to get on. That makes the journey better. That makes the holiday better. If they get on, your life is much, much better. When people come and play with with Noah, I know it's going to be an easy day if they get on. But if they don't get on, it's just referee all day. And it's amazing, isn't it? When you look at the text again, he says in verse 13, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work, live in peace with each other. And you kind of think that section goes with the next but it doesn't. Actually, Paul is saying, if you want to make your leaders' lives great, get on. Get on. And and it's very true. Very true. It's the best thing. If you want to encourage any of the the leaders this Christmas, get on. So love your leaders. But secondly, then, let's transition to this. What else does Paul want? He wants us to encourage each other, to encourage each other. Look at verses 14 and 15. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, Help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Here's the news about the church, okay? If you're here this morning, and uh, this is the first time, a warm welcome to you. Now, if you're thinking about coming to this church, let me just tell you something, okay? I'm just going to be honest. This church is a mess. And let me tell you why. Look around. This is why the church is a mess. Because we're here. And we're all messy people with messy lives, messy emotions, messy psychology, messy spirituality, messy relationships, messy backgrounds, messy situations. Everybody in this room is a mess or a liar. It's one of the two. And, and, and you know what? What I love about this church is that it's such a mess. What I love about our church family is it's dysfunctional. And it's my conviction that true church families should be dysfunctional. When you look at the families in the Bible, they are always dysfunctional. They're always. It's brilliant. And it's interesting in this passage how many times Paul says brothers, brothers and sisters. He's using this family language because you see, in the church, you should always have young and old Christians. You should always have happy and sad people. You should always have those who are soaring and those who are struggling. You should always have introverts and extroverts. You should always have type A personalities, and godly people. You should always have all of those people in the church. But as well, within the church, you'll always have people who are very alone and others who are desperate to be alone. You'll have people in the church who have money and other people who are struggling to pay the bills. 
You'll have some in church with perfect health and others with bodies failing. But the one thing we all have in common, we're all sinners saved by grace. We're all sinners saved by grace. And God's love is God's love because of what Christ has done for us. And that means that even though we've all, uh, if we've trusted in Christ being saved, even those who are Christians are still struggling with sin. And those of you who aren't Christians yet, you're still struggling with sin. But we're no different from you. It's just that we've been forgiven. Not that we're any better than you. It's just that I've realized that as a Christian, do you know what? I can't be perfect. But Jesus has lived the perfect life. I don't want to pay the price for my sin. But Jesus has died to pay the price for my sin. And so the penalty of the sin has gone from my life. I'm now free from the penalty of sin, but the presence of sin around me, inside me, is here all the time. You know, John Stott um, uses the phrase problem children. There's one Thessalonians, he says, the Thessalonica church had problem children. And do you know what? Our church is full of problem children, and I'm one of them. We're all problem children. There's no perfect model kids in, in our church. We all struggle in one way or another. And we need to see that. And, and Paul wants them to acknowledge how different they are. Look at the different types of people. Um, you've got idle. You've got uh, idle people. So he says, uh, verse 14, warn those who are idle. Um, idle people are those who are able to work but don't work. Um, people who are unwilling to work. Now, there is a big difference between unable and unwilling. Um, some people are able to work but unwilling. Uh, they are idle people. They are the sluggard in, in Proverbs. But there are people within the church and within society who are willing to work but are unable to work. Um, and that's different. That's why we have the food bank. That's why we have the hardship fund. Um, that's why we help people one-to-one. It's because sometimes people desperately want to work but are unable to uh, for one reason or another. But there are these people in church who are idle, lazy people. And then he says not only are there the idle people, there are the timid people. Or in some translations, the disheartened. The word there means anxious, fearful, easily disappointed. You know, a lot of people in our church and every church are easily disappointed. Um, a lot of you this morning are very anxious people. And this is very deep-seated. And Paul says those kind of people live in the church. But then there's also the weak. There's also the weak. He says we should help. The weak. What does he mean by weak here? Well, in the context of 1 Thessalonians, the weakness in the church was sexual temptation back in chapter 4. And Paul here is talking about those who are weak in an area of sexual um, temptation. And within any church, there will be men and women who struggle with temptation. And it's not just sexual temptation. There's pride. Uh, there's gossip. Uh, there's all these different things. And you know what? Lots of us are very weak spiritually. And we're struggling. And Paul says all of these people are, are in the church. And, and one of the only ways you'll ever survive in this church is to acknowledge that this church is full of idle, weak-hearted, struggling, anxious people. And that's okay. That's okay. And do you know what? Once you realize that, once you realize that when someone does something to you, hold on, they could just be very anxious today. They could be struggling with their weakness today. They're a sinner just like me, forgiven and kept by grace. When you grasp that, it changes everything. You see, when, when someone hurts you in church, what do you always assume? You always assume they're strong and that this is strategic. They've done this on purpose. They've thought this through. They've gone for me. Ah, 
and we kind of demonize them. Do you know what? Most of the time, most of the time, we just got out of bed the wrong way, or they're under horrendous stress in work, or they've just had a very difficult result from a test, or they just didn't see you, and it wasn't a slight. But it depends what kind of specs you put on to use a kind of winism. You know, do you put on specs of grace and realize, do you know what, people are struggling. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm just going to ooze grace on them. When you realize, actually, none of us are here by worth. None of us are here by merit. We're all here by grace. It changes everything. So how should we be with one another? Well, what are the words he uses to deal with them? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Here you've got the maternal and the paternal. You've got the caring and the admonishing. Um, It says, warn those who are idle. You know, sometimes, for certain things, when someone is unwilling to do something, not because they're unable, but there's an issue of laziness, we need to warn them. We need to warn them. But not just uh, warn, what else do we need to do? We need to encourage the timid and help the weak. I, I think we kind of get this mixed up. So sometimes we warn the timid. Do, do you know what I mean? So someone says to you, they're anxious. <gasps> trust in the Lord. Come on, I can trust in the Lord. I haven't got any struggles with stress or anxiety. Or someone comes to you and says they're depressed. Well, just pull yourself together. Come on, you have no idea how stressful my job is. You know, if I was just going to let myself go, I could be depressed too. <gasps> Man alive. If there's a time to be quiet, it's then. We get it the wrong way around. And sometimes we encourage the idle. Oh, there we are then. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You, oh, that's the best thing for you now is just to sit back and do nothing. Don't worry. We get it the wrong way around. Pastorally, if we apply the gospel in the wrong way, we're in a, in a nightmare position. So what do you do when you've got all of these people? How do you survive in a church like ours? Well, you need to be patient, forgiving, and kind. Patient, forgiving, and kind. You see there, isn't it? End of verse 14, be patient with your friends. Sorry, be patient with everyone. Sorry, be patient with everyone. It's quite a big difference there, isn't it? Be patient with everyone. Verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. That's how we deal with it. You know, when we're part of a church like this, which is such a mess because of the gospel of grace. You see, when you come to a church that preaches grace, you will attract people who need grace, and we rejoice in that. But we're a mess then. We're all works in progress. And that's the the great thing is, if you're looking at joining our church, I'd say join, because we're all works in progress. We're we're not perfect. We're not trying to say we're perfect. We're saying, actually, we're we're real big messes. Um, But it's the gospel of grace. But we need to be patient. We need to be patient. We're patient because God is patient with us. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Patience is one of the descriptions of love in 1 Corinthians 13. We need to be patient, especially with the problem children of the church. We need to be patient when people aren't like us. We need to make sure that we don't pay back wrong for wrong, either to their face or behind their backs or on social media, either aggressively or passive-aggressively. We need to make sure that we don't seek revenge, but... But look, it's key. I love this. I love this. Verse 15, halfway through, always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. If you want to have a motto for church, isn't it nice? Just, just try and be kind. Just try. So someone, you can see them, and this is what you think. 
high maintenance. High maintenance. I'm not going to invest in them. They're, they're really high maintenance. Yeah, but so are you, and God has invested in you. And one day, you might be the high maintenance friend. You might need that kind of help. Be, be kind to them. Or you look at other people and think, you know what, they're not like me. They're not in the same stage of life as me. We haven't got that much in common. Yeah, but we're all saved by grace and Christ has died for us. And we're brothers and sisters in the gospel. So we need to be kind to one another. You see, what's Paul describing here? Paul is describing here a community transformed by grace. We often think that a community transformed by grace is perfect. So that if the church really was experiencing grace, and this is where I think, okay, on my darkest days, I sit down and I think, if our church really was full of grace, they'd all be getting on. Come on, God, I need to get them to get on and to love each other and be kind. I think to a community by grace is perfect. No. A community where grace is, is a massive mess. Because it's attracting people in all kinds of places, and we're encouraging honesty. We're saying, do you know what, don't be a hypocrite, don't hide these things, let's deal with these things. And do you know what, we'll rub each other up the wrong way, we'll, we'll cause friction, we'll fall out, but that's okay, because we can admit it. I always say this, the people I respect the most in church, no matter how long it takes them to do it, are the ones who come and tell me the truth in the end, and say, look, this is what you've done that annoys me, or this is what you've done that really winds me up, or this is what I really can't handle about you, and there's a lot of things about me, because I'm the problem child. But you know what? When someone tells me, no matter how long it, tells, it takes them to tell me, that, that's immaterial. When someone says, then we can deal with it. I can repent, can try and change, and we can work it through together. But generally what happens is this. We keep the pretense. We keep the pretense. And so we just don't want to handle things. We don't want to deal with them. We want to do the maternal, coach people, but we don't want to do the paternal and deal with the issues. Now, we need to do both. We need to have that. That's the, the kind of church Paul wants, and that's the kind of church uh, that I want. So he wants us to love our leaders, to encourage one another, but then uh, finally, thirdly and finally, as we come to an end, very quickly, uh, the key. He wants us to go to God. Look at this, verse 16 onwards. This is a huge list, isn't it? Some of you are going to be very disappointed now that I'm not going to open up verse 20, but you've got to forgive me because I'm a problem child. So be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Brilliant. Nice and easy, isn't it? Always rejoice. Always pray. Always give thanks. Anybody do that? Oh, you're always rejoicing, always praying. You look at this and you think, come on, I think I could be kind to people. But really, Paul, you want me to rejoice all the time in all circumstances? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. That is his prayer. But, you know, some of the reasons we struggle with this teaching is because sometimes we misunderstand what joy is. And we misunderstand what our relationship with God is and what it is that God has for us. You see, um, remember when you fell in love. For some of you, that was a very long time ago. Remember when you fell in love. You see, when you initially fall in love, that first kind of Christmas, you, uh, you can kind of do one of two things. You can either go overboard and buy way too much, and that's going to come back and bite you in the bottom for the rest of your life. Because they're always going to compare it to that first Christmas. You bought me a ring on the first Christmas, and now you're like lucky if they get anything. Um, so you get that. Or the other thing is you do what I did, which was on the first Christmas, my true love sent to me, um, a remote control car and a glitter ball. That's not Beck to me. That's me to Beck. Yeah, I kind of got that wrong. <laughs> kind of got that wrong. Remote control car and a glitter ball. No, 
Now, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought it was funny. <laughs> but because we'd only just fallen in love, Beck was like, oh, wow, thank you. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't work like that anymore, 10 years in. Um, but, but that was the way it was. Why? Why? Because she was more concerned to spend time with me than what I gave her. What I gave her was immaterial to spending time with her. Here's the thing with God. With God, it's not about his gifts, but about him as the giver. And here's the key thing. We've got to understand that our relationship with God is about knowing him and having him. You know, when Jesus teaches us how to pray and how to give, he talks about people who have had their reward in full. We start to think, well, what is this reward that we can have? Well, for those who do things publicly, it's public acclaim. But for those who do things privately, what's the reward they get? Well, the reward they get is to do things privately. The reward they get is private time with God. See, some of us think that private time with God is about getting a reward of something else. If I have private time with God, I'll have my health, or I'll have my money, or I'll have this or that. Actually, no, private time with God is about having God. Here's the amazing thing. When you realize that God is the gospel, that knowing him is everything, that's when you can rejoice in every circumstance. That's when you can pray in every circumstance. That's when you can give thanks in all circumstances because no matter what's happening, yes, we struggle, yes, it hurts. Yes, we pray for God to give healing and for God to give strength and for God to help us out. But you know what? Ultimately, we say, but whatever happens, wherever my lot, that was taught me to say it as well, it is well with my soul because you were with me. So whether I am in plenty or in need, I've learned to be content in all things because you are with me. And see, that's, that's the key. You see, the way we can be content as Christians is to see God is enough. Christ is enough. All I have is, is Christ. And that's what we need to do. Do you know what? Do you want to know what God's will is for your life in 2015? Do you know what God's will is? Do you know what? I'm going to be honest. I don't think God particularly cares what job you're going to have. Honestly, on scale of importance, I really don't think. For those of you who are like in utter panic, should I do A or B, which is God's will? If I do A, I'm in God's will and life will be brilliant. And if I do B, that's not in God's will. And <gasps> Think it through. <laughs> if everybody was either choosing A or B, God's will or God's no will, I mean, how would God's will work when most people would always be choosing the other one? If you had loads of people in your life choosing not God's will as opposed to God's will, how would your life ever work out? It's as if God's will is a path, and if I step off it, I'm going to go and live another way. That, that's not it at all. Do you know what God's will is for your life? Look back at verse 16, 17, 18. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you know what? I, I don't think God cares about any of these things. He just cares that your will is, is there. Now, the kids have come back. I was really going to spend 20 minutes on prophecies, um, but unfortunately, the kids have come to save the day, so I'm thankful for that. There's a very messy ending for you. Um, And so here's my encouragement to you. The list is huge. The list is huge. Can we do it in and of ourselves? No, we can't do it. Do you know what? We can't do any of this. Us leading like this, you following like this, us getting on like this and being kind and forgiving, us following God and being thankful, let me just tell you, you can't do it. Okay? You can't do it. So let's read the end of the passage. Verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Do you know what? In and of ourselves, we can't do it. But with God, we can. 2015, 
Let God lead your life. Follow him and you will be far more loving and forgiving than you ever thought was possible. You'll rejoice far more and trust far more if you realize you can't do it, but God will. Well, that's it for another episode of our From the Archives podcast. We hope that you found it challenging and encouraging. And as always, we'd like to offer you a few quick next steps that you can take right now. If there's anything that you'd like to discuss or any questions that have been raised, please do contact us via email to contact at amfordchurch.com. If you want to know more about what's going on in the life of the church, make sure that you like us on Facebook. And lastly, why not check us out on YouTube, where you'll find additional teaching to complement our regular sermon podcast and our From the Archives podcast. Thanks for listening.